Hey there, welcome to the Pretty Little Tribe podcast, a space to talk about all things life, fertility, parenthood, and everything in between. My name is Elizabeth. I am an international fertility coach, ICF certified life coach, birth and bereavement doula, and new parent educator. Join us as we support the tribe throughout their journey from conception to bringing your new baby home and everything along the way. See you in the episode. everyone. Welcome back to the Pretty Little Tribe podcast. Today we have Dr. Betsy Greenleaf, and I'm so excited to have her here. She is one of the first or is the first board certified urogynecologist. Did I say that right? Yes, yes. Yes. And what does that mean for our listeners that don't even understand what that means? We're used to hearing gynecologists, right? But what does that mean? Yeah, no, it's so funny because I remember years ago. And first of all, thank you so much for having me on this show. I'm very excited about it. Uh, but it was interesting. Years ago when I was doing my training, I was in my OBGYN, my uh, residency, obstetrics and gynecology. And then I came home and I said, I'm going to do two more years of Eurogyne. And my mom was like, what is Eurogynecology? She thought it was like, like, Euro Disney, like it was some kind of fancy European gynecology. <laughs> when in fact, your gynecology is a combination between urology and gynecology. So urology has to do with the urinary system. So it's like, in particular for this, it's bladder, urethra, pelvic organs, and then plus the gynecology. So it's a little bit more advanced than just regular gynecology. Yes. And Gosh, well, someone who's had years of um, UTIs, I'm like, God bless the fact that you're specialized in all things around that, because I think, well, there's that. And then there's the action of having had three kids and not just having three kids, but even one, right? It changes everything down there and, and the situation. And I remember always understanding when I was growing up that, well, it's only if you have a vaginal birth that you're going to have any sort of issues around that. And I can attest to three C-sections. That is not the case. <laughs> um, can you explain that for listeners as to, you know, I guess what I'm alluding to, first of all, and, and why that is that it's not just for those that have had vaginal births? You know, that's the thing is for women who've had babies, they kind of had a clue what's going on because they may they may be experiencing this right now, but this is something like with pelvic health and what happens in pregnancy and childbirth that doesn't really get talked about a lot. So, you know, not only do, does like the general population doesn't know the things that could possibly happen. I mean, I didn't know when I went into this as a field and, you know, here we are. Um, there's a lot of, it's something I guess really that we don't talk about a lot. And so that's one of my goals is try to normalize this conversation. But um, yeah, unfortunately, uh, pregnancy, childbirth being the most common things can really damage the ligaments that hold everything up in our pelvis. So our pelvis is the area between our belly button and our thighs, and it's all the organs, nerves, muscles in that area. And so the interesting thing about it is it's really just this open hole to gravity. I mean, the only thing that's holding everything in our body um, is the fact that we have muscles and the bottom of our pelvic floor and skin and some ligaments and that that's it. So um, what can happen is those ligaments and tissue can get damaged from 
just pregnancy alone. Um, we do, we often think about it as in someone who gives vaginal birth that it damages those ligaments, but pregnancy alone can do it. So that's why even women with C-sections can have problems. And then I have women who've never had babies, never, you know, been pregnant and you can damage your pelvic floor, lifting something heavy, mm. vomiting, coughing. Um, sometimes I see gymnasts from landing, like the hard landing on the ground, they can damage it. Um, and I know I, I hear you, like, here I am a urogynecologist. And so when I had my babies, I was like, oh God, I know what can happen. So I had two elective C-sections, um, which you could kind of do at that time. And, uh, cause I was like, I want to just bypass damaging my pelvic floor. And then I ended up developing a prolapse where things started like kind of drooping and dropping. And so my colleagues laughed at me cause I ended up having to have surgery to have it corrected, avoiding a vaginal delivery. Right. So. It got you, it got you anyway. So is there any way to prevent that? Like you're saying, like if you haven't had children before and maybe you are doing these things, is there, is it just kind of up to chance that it can become damaged or is there a way to be strengthening, strengthening, strengthening that area, excuse me, or doing anything else that can pre, you know, prevent the situation from happening? And how, just, how much attention do we need to be putting on this area that we're not paying attention to at all until there's a problem really? Yeah. Well, the statistics are 50% of women will develop a prolapse. So that's pretty high number. So half of us, you know, half of people listening out there may have it and not even know it. So can you define what a prolapse is yeah. again for anyone who may not be knowing? Ex exactly. So prolapse is when things are kind of drooping and dropping. And the reason why that happens is we have the bladder like if, if I cut our body in half and I looked at things from the front and I cut it in half, like, like left, like half of your body was like your right part of your body. And now the other half was your left part of your body. And then I looked at it from the side, the very front of your body has the bladder. The middle has the vagina uterus and the back is the rectum. And so when we look at it in a picture like that, there's only really, really thin, tissue and ligaments in between the bladder and the vagina and the vagina and the rectum. So what happens is really everything leans on the vagina. And if it's where it's supposed to be, those ligaments and that strength of that tissue holds it up. But what can happen is you can develop a prolapse where the bladder starts leaning on the vagina and it actually starts to push the vagina out of the body. So the, we often refer to this, women will refer to this as like their bladder dropped, but it's really more like that the, the bladder is pushing the vagina out of the body. Same thing with the rectum. The rectum could be pushing the vagina out of the body, or you can have a uterine prolapse where the top of the vagina, the uterus just kind of drops and now comes out of the body. So and you, do you can physically see it. Like sometimes you do. And that's like, you know, sometimes women will just like, they don't, they feel like things are just not quite right. Things feel maybe a little bit looser down there than it had in the past. Or sometimes people will start actually feeling something bulging out of the vagina. And you know, women often will come into the office and be like, oh my God, is this a tumor? What is this? Or uh, severe cases, the vagina can actually turn inside out like a sock. What? And like everything can be hanging between your legs. What? And this is the thing we don't talk about this. I mean, I remember the first time I was editing a, a chapter in a textbook and I had my husband like reading it just to be like, I need it. And he's non-medical and I needed him to read it just to double check something. And he saw the picture of, of this happening. He was like, what is that? 
you know, like sometimes women are like, oh my God, I think I just grew a penis like overnight. Like, like it literally can turn wow. inside out if all the ligaments, um, are, are damaged, but sometimes it's just the bulging. Sometimes they feel like there's, they feel something bulging. There's like, sometimes they'll say like, oh, there's this red ball down there. Is it painful generally or no? Not typically, not okay. typically. And usually it happens. I mean, it can happen suddenly. Like somebody can give birth and all of a sudden it happened, but a lot of times it happens over a number of years, you know, with something like a pregnancy or childbirth starting that typically, like I said, there's those other reasons that can cause damage to that tissue. But typically the little tears in those ligaments and then over years of lifting heavy objects or mm. bearing down because you're constipate, constipated, those will really out over time will make those ligaments worse and worse. And then as we age, we start losing muscle mass in our body starting in our thirties. And so if those muscles in the pelvic floor become weak, that now will make things droop more. So there's a lot of factors that go into it, but yeah, it is because we don't talk about it. It is like women are like, ah, especially like one day, you know, they, they see it and they're like, what is going on? And, and typically to the story will be, like it's worse when I'm standing on my feet all day, or it's worse if I lift something heavy, but when I lay down at night, it goes away. And mm. that's because like, when you lay down at night, you're taking that pressure off, off. Cause really it's like now your intestines, everything in your abdominal cavity is now putting pressure on your pelvic floor and things will just kind of go bloop. So, and again, is there anything we can do to prevent those ligaments and or muscles from getting so weak and and whatnot. Yeah. The first thing is to think about doing your Kegels and doing your Kegel exercises. Now that's okay. not going to fix it hundred percent, but if those muscles are strong, we can sometimes make the prolapse look less like less of what it is. Um, it's also a good way to prevent it from happening. So, and a lot of women don't do their Kegels properly. Uh, they'll, when I ask people, when I, when they come in, I'll be like, okay, see if you can tighten. And I try to feel if they're tightening. Um, and a lot of women bear down and push. So, or there's this misconception that you're supposed to do Kegels when you're urinating. People are like, oh, I do it all the time when I urinate. And they're like, I start and stop my urine. Well, the muscles that you use to start and stop your urine, you only do it to try to figure out which muscles those are. You don't really want to be doing that when you're urinating because the urine needs to come out of the body. And if you're stopping it, when the bladder's trying to push it out, it's going to go where the least amount of pressure is. And that could be back up to your kidneys. Ooh. So you could be actually triggering or, or increasing your risk of a kidney infection. So mm -hmm. I tell people like, you know, yes, those are the muscles that you want to use. And if you need to try to figure it out when you're using, going to the bathroom, that's a great way. Or like, think about like, all right, if you were in some like amazing public situation, maybe you're speaking on stage or something like that. And all of a sudden you have to fart. Like those are the muscles that you were like desperately trying to tighten to hold in that fart because you're like, I don't want it to come out. Same, same muscle. Sometimes when you think about holding in gas, it actually makes more sense. Um, but so that's how you do like your Kegels and you do it where you like tighten for 10, you count to 10, then relax. Or you can do what's called quick flicks where you tighten, 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 and do that 10 times. 
and then relax. And then you'd keep repeating them. Or sometimes I even have patients that are, their muscles are so weak, they can't even trigger those muscle contractions. So sometimes we need to do things to kind of strengthen those muscles to begin with. And that could be just sitting in a chair with a ball between your knees or a pillow or even a towel that's rolled up and then squeezing your knees together. And that will also trigger pelvic floor muscles. Um, and then in my office, I got a really cool device. It's a magnet chair and you sit on it and it does your Kegel exercises 80 times what you're able to do yourself. So it wow. really, it really, uh, can get those muscles going, but so yeah, keeping the muscles strengthened is great. Uh, smoking, avoiding smoking, uh, really, because we know that smoking weakens the tissue. So smoking puts you at a risk of also other types of hernias. And this is kind of, this is considered a type of hernia. Oh, um, interesting. Avoiding constipation. Now that's a really difficult one. I'm, I think a majority of women that I see in the office have some sort of history of constipation. So, and, and that's a little bit harder, but, you know, eating a healthy diet and drinking enough fluids, which 75% of Americans are chronically dehydrated. So we're not drinking enough, but you, we need that, need more fiber in the diet. So we don't get constipated because you really don't want to be bearing down um, because that pressure could be making those little rips and tears in those, those ligaments worse. Um, you know, a lot of women, we try to be tough and, you know, we're doing things around the house. We're lifting heavy objects. You want to remember to be like a, like those weightlifters you see on TV and they're like blowing out as they're lifting something heavy because they're trying not to give themselves a hernia. And that's the same thing is either avoid lifting heavy things, or if you have to lift something heavy, don't hold your breath, blow out. Um, and that can decrease the risk of, um, of damage. And some of it is they've done biopsies of people who have a prolapse versus those who don't. And they found that there is a genetic component that some people just have weaker tissue. Um, but I always say just because, you know, maybe it runs in your family, like hernias may run in your family. It doesn't mean that you have to be the one that has that nutrition really does play an important role in how, how healthy your tissue is. So staying away from inflammatory foods like sugar, dairy, wheat, and processed foods is going to all help, you know, your tissue if you're eating more vegetables and lean proteins. So, so and is there any way that we can see how that is affecting the change or is it just kind of knowing that it's working and, and kind of, yeah, it's pretty much that. knowing it, it's okay. working. And then, you know, really, and even then, so when it comes to say, if you have a prolapse and you're like, ah, you know, what is this? What do I do? Some people are very scared about having sex because I think it's going to make it worse. You're not going to make it worse with sex. That's, that's really, it would be pretty rare. And, and, and I mean, I guess it depends on how aggressive you are with your sexual activity, but, um, you really shouldn't be making it worse with sex. Um, you know, people try to th think that they're going to avoid, you know, they have start avoid all activities, even exercise altogether. Like you, you really still have to live your life and be healthy, but there are so many things that can be done if you have a prolapse. And I, I tell my patients all the time, surgery should be your last option because a lot of doctors, because they're trained as surgeons. Um, and Hey, I was like this when I first came out of, of fellowship, like I was like, Oh, you have a problem. Let's fix it. But really there are so many risks 
that go along with surgery that the the benefits have to outweigh those risks. And now if it's affecting your quality of life where you're like physically can't function or mentally can't function because of it, that's a good reason to have surgery. But really um, the problem that people think about, they think, oh, I'll just get surgery and it'll be fixed and that'll be it. Well, we know that women who've had a prolapse once, their tissue tends to be a little bit weaker. So you are more you're statistically more likely to actually end up having another surgery. So surgery doesn't fix necessarily fix it for good. We're happy if it does, but it, but we kind of, as urogynecologists expect that person to, you know, we're happy if they get five to 10 years out of a surgery, but have I had patients that have had surgery and then like a year later it's dropped again or a month later because they were probably lifting heavy objects or got constipated and now it's happened again. Sure, because we can put it back, but if your tissue is weak, it can rip and tear again. So, um, interesting. And more so, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, there's other things that can be done other than surgery. Um, You know, doing those pelvic exercises, seeing a pelvic physical therapist who can work on strengthening the pelvic floor. Um, We can wear. Uh, while there's over-the-counter devices that are bladder supports, they're almost like a tampon. I don't recommend using a tampon because it holds in bacteria, but there's um, there's two on the market. One is, is by Poise called Impreza, and the one I've uh, actually found on Amazon, I can't remember the exact name, but it's a little bladder support, almost like a tampon that you wear in the vagina. It just kind of keeps things from falling out. And, and it's called a bladder support if you're looking on Amazon. Yes, yes. Okay. And then there's a pessary. And a pessary is a device that has existed since ancient Egypt. So pessaries are basically something that you put in the vagina to wedge and hold things up. And so I don't recommend this, but in ancient Egypt, they used to put pomegranates in their vaginas. Wow. Um, in Rome, they used to put stones or potatoes. I don't recommend any of those things. <laughs> We now have, usually they come in all kinds of crazy shapes and, and, and sizes, anything from, they look like little Frisbees to they can all the way look like almost like a Rubik's cube. They, they come in a whole range. And it's just something, it's, it's usually made out of a silicone and it's like this device, almost like the old school um, diaphragms that people use for, for, birth, um, for birth control that they'd wear in the vagina. It folds up, inserts in the vagina and you wear it. It can be taken out every day. It can be taken out once a week. Some people will leave them in for three, four months at a time and then take it out and clean them. So that And is this something you should do with your doctor's advice and recommendation rather yeah, than typically you, looking for something? Yeah. Typically you have to be fitted for them. So oh, okay. Yeah. So, and even then it's kind of, I always say it's like almost like the Goldilocks. Cause even though I can measure someone's length of their vagina, we don't really get great, uh, great, great uh, measurements on the width or just how it wedges. So sometimes I get one and we try it and it's like too small, too big, just right. So we, sometimes we have to try a couple before we get it to wedge in there properly. And is this something that a regular gynecologist would be familiar with? Yeah, typically, yeah, typically okay. the regular gynecologist will do that. And and there are, even though urogynecology is a pretty new specialty, um, there's about fifteen hundred of us in, around the country. So if you specifically look for a urogynecologist too, they will definitely be trained in that. But t- typically, the regular gynecologist can also do pessaries. Okay, and I just want to reiterate again that's euro as in urology, not. Yes. Europe. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's yeah. U-R-O. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
And then we're having like in today's day and age, we're getting so many more of these regenerative therapies that are out on the market. Now it's not going to fix it hundred percent like a surgery, but a lot of the regenerative therapies can actually decrease the appearance and aid with comfort. And so this is anywhere from use of lasers to something called radio frequency, which is sound waves to, to generate heat. And that's applied to the vagina and it causes, um, causes a tightening of the tissue, um, even to like injection of different things like platelet rich plasma, which is, um, growth factors from your own blood, um, used to use stem cells, but the FDA has really cut back on the use of, uh, allowing doctors to use stem cells. So those, that typically is not available, but that was an option. Those regenerative therapies, unfortunately are not typically anything that's covered by insurance. That's usually mm -hmm. something that patients have to pay for out of pocket. Okay. And so if somebody has just comes with to you with incontinence, right? Like mm. I had a baby or haven't had a baby. And every time I cough, sneeze, jump, whatever, I'm peeing myself. What is the, the recommendation for that before surgery? And then second to that question is what is happening in that surgery? Are you, what, what is it fixing the ligaments, the bladder? Like what's going on there? So yeah, typically that in particular has to do with a damage to the ligaments under the urethra. So the urethra is the tube that the urine comes out of the body. So the, the bladder is kind of like almost like a balloon that holds in the, the urine. And, and you think of like the, the neck of the balloon um, is like more like the urethra, that, except for a lot smaller. And that's the tube that it comes out of. So there should normally be a ligament underneath the urethra so that normally when you cough, laugh, sneeze, jump in, up and down, your organs kind of compress that urethra up against that ligament and they keep it shut. But now a lot, many women, they cough, laugh, sneeze, jump up and down, um, and they get leakage anywhere from like a little squirt to like flooding. And that all has to do with that, that urethra is not getting compressed properly. So, um, so there's a lot of different options with that. Sometimes where in very similar, there's a lot of overlap with, with prolapse and sometimes you can have both issues. Um, so the, the, once again, you can do the pelvic physical therapy, do your Kegels, strengthen them, try those bladder supports, try a pessary. Um, some of the other options for that is there are some injectable medicines that we go into the urethra and we inject the urethra and kind of fatten it up so that it stays closed when you don't want it you know, to be leaking. The only potential problem with that procedure, and that can be done in an office. The only potential problem is that sometimes now women complain of that, well, their urine flow is a lot slower because now they really have to kind of push to overcome that pressure to empty. But, you know, that's why I always say, well, which would you rather have a slow urine flow or more difficulty emptying, mm -hmm. or you want the leaking? So it's kind of, you got to pick the, the, you know, Choose your best. battles. <laughs> yeah. And then the other one is this is a sling. And so a lot of people have heard of the sling and that usually is um, a piece of graft, either biologic graft made out of pig, cow, or cadaver skin or synthetic mesh. And now I know I said the word mesh and everybody freaks out when they hear the word vaginal mesh, even though slings are made out of the same thing as the vaginal mesh. Um, and I'll, tell you why vaginal mesh was bad in a minute, but, um, even though slings are made of the same material, um, slings have been around since the 19, like late 1980s. And 
um, the studies have shown that those those that procedure is safe compared to the vaginal mesh where it was much bigger pieces of mesh that were placed in through the vagina. So sling procedures are still being done in the United States. Um, and they've been done since the 19, like late, let's say late, late 1990s. But basically what it's doing is it's replacing that ligament that's in there. Um, and so it gives that, that little backboard for the urethra. So you don't get that, that opening of when you get that pressure. Um, so, and, and that sometimes in some states you can do those, that procedure in the office, some states you have to go to an operating room to have that done. So, um, okay. And the next thing that kind of a lot of people that have had, had gone, have gone through fertility and or pregnancy. So either starting in your fertility journey, the, the drugs sometimes make you constipated and then you hopefully go on to having your baby and then your body oftentimes get constipated again. So knowing that just that alone can cause so much damage to your system down there, what do you recommend for that other than like, if you're, if you feel like you're eating the fiber and you're doing all the things and it's still just not moving, what do you, what do you suggest? You know, I really would recommend seeing an integrative or functional doctor because what I love to do in my office is actually test the microbiome of the stool because okay. we know that certain overgrowths of certain bacteria will actually trigger constipation. So now this is something like before you get to that point, because some insurances pay for that testing. Some people, some insurances don't. It typically runs about, let's, let's say on the high end, maybe like $450 um, for that test. Um, some, some people don't necessarily want to do that. Well, the other alternative, other than eating healthy diet and doing the fiber and doing the, uh, the water is really getting more probiotics in your system. And so whether that's eating fermented foods or taking a probiotic to really kind of chase away some of the, that bad bacteria, or sometimes it could be like a lot of things that we do to our bodies decreases the, st our stomach acid. And if our stomach acid is decreased, that will throw off our gut bacteria all the way down. So unfortunately, when you get that stomach, like ache, taking like a Tums or a Pepsid or something like a, an antacid is probably one of the worst things you can do for your stomach, because you're just going to throw everything else off. So even, um, because I know I was into the Costco size Tums through each pregnancy. <laughs> yeah, it, it's tough, but, um, actually, and, and it took me a little while to get used to drinking this, but now I love it is actually putting like a little bit of apple cider vinegar in your water. And okay. drinking that, I mean, it, like I would work up, I wouldn't do more than like a teaspoon in there, but like, I, I don't even do that. I put a little splash, but you know, just working, like having something that's a little bit more acidic, um, even lemon juice in the water. Okay. And then the next question to that is at what point do you know that the, the constipation is a problem? You know, oh, is yeah. it, if it's be going on for a certain amount of time, is it because it's, you haven't had a bowel movement in X amount of days or like, where, where do we realize, okay, I'm causing damage here. I need to go see a doctor versus like, oh, I'm constipated. Yeah. I think really, if you find, you know, in that's a great, great question because constipation can be defined a number of ways. It could be like infrequency of bowel movements. So, but, but somebody having a bowel movement once or twice a day, may be normal. Somebody having a bowel movement once a week could be normal um, for them. But mm -hmm. if there's a, like a change in that frequency, um, 
then you want to go see a doctor. Also, I when I talk about constipation, I'm always a lot of time. I'm probably more focusing on like if you have to strain really, really hard to get that that bowel movement out. That's what I get worried more about. Like, what am I doing? Like, am I straining? Um, I think that that really can damage the pelvic floor when you're doing, when you're doing that. So if you're finding that that's really kind of the way things are, are happening, then I would definitely see a doctor. Um, you know, other things I could think of too, is a lot of us are magnesium deficient. So sometimes taking a magnesium supplement, um, at night specifically, because the reason why you take magnesium at night is because it also has a very a sedative effect on the body. So it actually is very calming. So, but you got to watch with magnesium because some of them will cause you to get diarrhea. The other direction. That's, so that's I, me. <laughs> I per, I typically like, like something called magnesium glyconate because mm-hmm. magnesium glyconate doesn't tend to have that, that diarrhea crampy side effect. But that's, you know, that's another thing that can be, can be done. Or sometimes they found, they used to think, and some people like, they'll say coffee will make them go. Uh, and I think that, and that's usually me, that'll, that actually helps me go. But they've also found it's not necessarily the coffee or the caffeine, but it can be just the warm fluids. Mm. So just drinking tea or having broth or even just warm water, you know, like hot water um, that can sometimes get the the bowels to go. Well, I'm so glad that we s- touched on that because I never would have equated um, bowel movements to pelvic health floor, right? And and constipation that that would be causing damage. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of people listening, it's helpful to know that in regards to the fact of what is going on with us as a whole that could be potentially causing some other issue going on, which I think is really great to know. And before we go, I just want to also ask, I know you are, you know, the the vagina specialist. Is there anything that we should know as a collective for women around our vaginal health and or how that relates to, you know, I don't know anything that we should know since you're our special special specialist and we have you here today. Well, here's one, and this one we could probably even do a whole nother show on this one. Let's do it. <laughs> is the microbiome of the vagina. So okay. there's so much um, research now going on about microbiome. So microbiome is the small little micro um, environment in which bacteria live. So we know that the microbiome of your skin is different than what's in your mouth, but then what's in your gut and what's in your vagina. And so for years, they've been talking about this gut brain connection, because we know that 90% of your serotonin, your happy hormones are made in your gut. We know that 85 or 75 to 85% of your immune system is made in your gut. And we know that anxiety and depression and stress can affect your gut and your gut vice versa can affect your brain causing anxiety, stress and depression. But now they're finding out that the microbiome, the vagina, if that's off, not only does that increase your risk of recurrent vaginal infections, increases your risk of recurrent urinary tract infections, but may actually add to infertility and low sex drive. Yeah, so. I was going to mention all of those things have, have been on the fertility side of things is a, a very open known conversation, thank goodness. Although I would say most Western doctors are not having that conversation with you when you go into the fertility clinics, unfortunately but hopefully that will be changing soon. So to that point of the vaginal microbiome versus uh, the gut and how that comes together. So 
again, with people that are listening that are in this fertility world, a lot of us have been on um, vaginal suppositories for progesterone during our, you know, trying to conceive and early pregnancy and whatnot. Um, and if you're prone to yeast infections, that also tends to kick that up. So is that considered something that starts in the gut or is the vaginal or is it, you know, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? Typically, especially with recurrent vaginal infections with yeast, typically it's the gut. So typically there's an overgrowth of yeast in the, in the gut and in the way we're built, you know, the rectum, the vagina, the urethra, everything's so close, no matter how clean you are, it, the bacteria just gets and yeast gets passed back and forth. It just happens. So, um, you know, unfortunately it's a combination of, um, it's definitely a combination of that the, the yeast is typically in the gut and is being harbored in the, in the gut. But then you have things like stress and stress is going to affect hormone production and the hormone production can affect the lining of the vagina and make it thinner if, especially if certain hormones are, are lower. And so when that happens, our healthy bacteria, the lactobacillus, which fights off all the bad guys, it loses its food source. And now without a food source that dies off and everything else comes in. So there's definitely a combination of the effects of stress on the body, the effects of um, the, the gut, and then also this, you know, throwing off the, um, the vagina. Interesting enough, when people have like an itch or an odor or a discharge, most women think that they're having yeast when only 12% of the time that that's yeast. So like 80 something percent of the time, it's actually bacterial. And so, and we know bacterial infections too, specifically um, with this, this vagina brain connection, they think that what happens is signals are probably sent through the vagus nerve to the brain to say, this is not an ideal time to be reproducing. And so that will also affect hormones and also create stress on the body. And so that increases the risk of infertility. And then also that's how it affects sex drive because it's telling the brain, like, this is not an ideal time to reproduce. So we're going to dampen the sex drive too. So right. it's just really amazing how it's all interconnected like that. Yeah. And is there any way to know the difference unless you go to get a vaginal culture done every time you may be having something going on? Yeah. You know, and that's something I really advise patients that to look into it. And there's something you may even have to ask your doctor to do a specific test because the typical regular, um, like cultures just really aren't giving the answers that people need. And which I don't understand, especially in the traditional medical world, I've been doing advanced testing for 12 years. And I still can't believe that, that the regular gynecologists are still not using these advanced testing measures. So there's something called PCR testing. And there's also something called next generation sequencing, which is even more advanced. So next generation sequencing swabs, um, these can be done and, actually you can like know exactly what's in your vagina down to, do you have healthy bacteria? How much do you have? Do you have bad bacteria? What is it? You know, that's the other thing with, with, bact with uh, bacterial infections. A lot of times doctors go like, oh, it's a bacterial vaginosis. Let me give you a metrogel or clindamycin. And they think like, okay, that 
it's going to take care of it. And a lot of times it doesn't because it's usually not just one bacteria there. It's usually like once one bad guy comes in, they like decide to have a party and they invite a whole bunch of other ones. So sometimes it takes a lot to rebalance the vagina. Um, that's why one of the natural things that I love using just to rebalance without having to use medications is boric acid suppositories. So boric acid is really good because it not only does it help with bacteria, but also yeast. So if you don't really know what's going on and like, it always seems like this happens and I'm, my poor patients too. It always happens like a Friday night at like eight o'clock at night when the office is closed, they're like, I think something's going on. And like, you know, I can't get them in. And then even when I do get them in, we do these swabs, these advanced swabs take like a week to get the results back. So a lot of times I'll be like, listen, just go pick up. Um, like I particularly like, there's a brand called PhD um, and you can find it in most, um, most um, stores. Um, like, like chain pharmacies have that one, uh, and be like, hey, just start doing one every night and, you know, for like a week. And that may even take care of it before we even like have to do, go revert to medicines. So interesting. And back to your point, I think this is a whole nother show on <laughs> things we can do to help our, our vaginal microbiome, because as you mentioned, the stress that it causes on your body and, and or vice versa, right? The stress you're going through because of maybe going through your fertility journey or whatever it may be could be causing this and, and how that all intertwines to the mental health and on and on and on. But I just want to thank you again so much for being here today. How can people find you and follow you and get all your great information? Yeah, sure. So follow me definitely on social media. I'm in one form or another. I tried to get all the same names, but it didn't work out. But if you look at Dr. Betsy Greenleaf in one form or another, you'll find me. And I have uh, pretty much every social media platform known to man. Pretty much I'm on there. Um, you can find me there. My uh, office is greenleafbewell.com. I also have another website, Dr. Betsy Greenleaf. Um, and I know we're talking more fertility, but I have a um, summit for women who are perimenopausal and menopausal and, and women who are want to know more about what it's like to be menopausal coming up called the Happy Vagina Rally. And that's at happyvaginarally.com. And Amazing. One, one last place is the yes. pelvic, floor, pelvic floor store .com where I sell pelvic health products. Great. In fact, I was just saying today that the, you know, women's health in general is so important. So it's not just about this small portion of our life where we're in this fertility aspect necessarily, but big picture of our, our physical health around women's wellness. So I think it is really important to have an understanding of what's to come if you're not quite there yet. And I feel like I'm very quickly getting onto the other side and, and noticing some of those changes. So I'm excited to check that out myself. Um, where is your physical office? If anybody is local to you? Sure. I am located in Howell, New Jersey. So pretty much smack dab in the middle of the state of New Jersey. <laughs> Okay, well, easy if you're to lucky get enough. through too. If you're not in the state, easy to get there by flying into Newark or flying into Philadelphia. Awesome. So if any of you are lucky enough to be close enough and or want to go check her out, I know she has, you know, leading state of the art um, things in her office, as well as keeping up with all these amazing people that I can't wait to catch up with you on next as well. But uh, check her out. Dr. Betsy Greenleaf, thank you so much again for being here. 
Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Pretty Little Tribe podcast. Follow up on Instagram at the Pretty Little Tribe or at Elizabeth King underscore coaching for updates, resources, and a community to connect with. If you are looking for extra support and tools to guide you along your TTC and parenting journey, visit elizabethking.com. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast everywhere you're listening for a chance to receive a special gift. Visit elizabethking.com backslash pretty little tribe podcast for more information on how to enter. Any review counts. I just appreciate your honest feedback so I can provide you with the best support possible in your TTC and parenthood journey. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week.